glad you all are here tonight, and uh, we are going to be in our blue hymnal again. If we could sing number 40, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is Thy Faithfulness. Sixty-three. Number sixty-three. 
Let's all stand if you can. Number 
Uh, we're going to receive our evening offerings at this time for men will come to receive those. There you go. And Wade, won't you ask the Lord's blessing on the offering, please? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, so great to be in your house tonight here, Lord, Lord. Mm. Lord, we just uh, ask yes. that you be with all those that who, who couldn't be here tonight with us, Lord. Ask you to be with all those who are traveling or maybe sick, Lord. Lord, continue to pray for Israel, Lord. Just yes. Continue to be with that country, Lord. Pray for our leaders, Lord, that they continue to uh, support Israel, Lord. Lord, we just want to thank you for the beautiful weather today, Lord. And just continue to watch over it, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Sing number one hundred and sixty. One hundred and sixty. Appreciate Cadence, amen. 
And uh, we're going to have two specials today because Lawrence is going to come. He's going to play the piano for us. So, Lawrence, you come and play. with you that thrills me I, I, I uh, praise the Lord what a blessing amen? amen I uh when I was about 16 or 17 I really really wanted to learn how to play piano and the only person I knew was a friend of mine and uh you know he said well I'll teach you and I was like okay cool you know and and all he had was sheet music from some popular song of the day and he goes play that and I'm like I don't even know what I'm looking at <laughs> so I tried to peck out whatever I could and and uh, praise the Lord. Keep it up. Amen. Amen. It's been a blessing to be in the Lord's house today. I've enjoyed the messages already and looking forward to the sermon tonight. So, Brother Hastings, you come preach to us. Amen. Good to have our visitors with you. We're glad you're here. Amen. Well, it has been good to be here. So thankful to uh, have a nice place to stay. Thank you, church, for putting us up in the hotel. It was a good meal this afternoon. Enjoyed going to the pastor's house. and. Enjoyed some good food and fellowship, and um, I'm telling you, uh, I was, when I was visiting with Pastor Bradshaw, uh, I was asking him how long he's been here, 30 years, that is amazing, you don't see that in a lot of churches, and so that's a blessing, and I, I, he didn't pay me to say this, he can pay me later if he wants, but uh, <laughs> uh, I hope that you take care of their family, and I don't know if you do or not, I, don't really, I didn't talk to him about that, but uh, to have a man of God that stays in a, in a church and serves for 30 years, that is a rarity today. And so praise God for that. And so you sure love on your pastor and pastor's wife and be real thankful for them. And it's a good, been a good spirit, a good church. I, I love Sunday night services. They're always my favorite service. It seems like the busyness of the morning is done. Maybe if you didn't sleep real well uh, Saturday night or it was a rush to get to church. Sunday afternoon you get a little time to take your, catch your breath. And so you come in kind of rested. And so I always enjoy Sunday nights. And so uh, Sunday nights we preach for two, three hours at our church. And no, that's not true. And so, uh, but I, I, do have a, I do have a passage of Scripture tonight. I'll invite your attention to 1 Kings chapter 20. And in this passage of scripture, it's 43 verses long. I hope to look at the whole chapter 
And I'm not typically a long-winded preacher. I usually last about 35, maybe 45 minutes, but I, I always say that hoping one day I'll, I'll break that. And uh, so maybe tonight would be the night. I don't know. And uh, you don't look excited about it, so maybe not. So well, we're going to look through this whole chapter, and, uh, and really it's a one long narrative of a story. And so one thing good about it is once we get to the end of the chapter, you know we're done. We're going to make some application. The Old Testament was written for our admonition, for our example, get some instruction. And in the middle of this book, in 1 Kings chapter 20, obviously the name of the book is about kings, and there's the stories about the kings and the prophets. And in chapter 19, the story is about Elijah and casting his mantle on Elisha, calling him into the prophet ministry. And uh, then in chapter 20, it goes back to the kings, King Ahab, and really Ben-Hadad, a Syrian king that's going to come and fight against him. And then in chapter 21, it goes back to the scene of King Ahab, but more back to Elijah. And so you see these, this back and forth, and even in this chapter, you're going to see some unnamed prophets. And so this, this passage of Scripture... Uh, though we're not under a king, kingdom, kingship, what we're going to learn tonight, what our aim is of this chapter as I studied and began to look through this, is valuing what God values. And we're going to see King Ahab, he was the northern king of Israel, the, the, the kingdom is divided, and uh, he is the northern king. He is married to the famous Jezebel, and so he is declared as the most wicked king of all Israel. He is not a, he's not a good king, his, his wife is not a, a good queen. And, uh, and God's going to show up and help King Ahab, not once, but twice. And he does so, so that King Ahab might know that he is the Lord God. Now, he's already had a couple opportunities, the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, and that whole thing. And, and Elijah said, how long halt you between two opinions? If God be God, follow him. And of course, fire falls down from heaven. King Ahab gets to see that God is God, and he's the, the God of heaven, but... King Ahab has nothing to do with God. He doesn't really look to him. He gives him no glory. He doesn't really want to know him. And they are, they are, he has led the nation of Israel into Baal worship because of Jezebel, his wife. And so here in this chapter, he's going to have an enemy come in, Ben-Hadab. He is the Syrian king. This is on the north side of, of Israel here. And Ben-Hadab, anytime you hear his name in Scripture, he is always an enemy to God and God's people. Really a picture and a type of the devil, maybe the world, the flesh as well. And so this, this king is going to come against King Ahab. And we're going to see really the weakness of this man, uh, King Ahab, and really in his low value of what God values. And I, I want to challenge us, all of us tonight in this area of loving what God loves, valuing what God values, and hating what God hates. And, uh, and so we're going to see that here in our text. So if you're able to, let's stand. We'll give reverence reading God's word if you're able to. If not, understand that. In verse 1 it says, And Ben-Hadab, the king of Syria, gathered all his hosts together, and there were thirty and two kings with him, and horses and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria and warred against it. Now Samaria at this time is the capital of the northern kingdom, Israel. And he sent messengers to Ahab, king of the Israel, into the city, and said unto him, Thus saith Ben-Hadad, Thy silver and thy gold is mine. Thy wives also and thy children, even the goodliest, are mine. And king, the king of Israel, answered and said, My lord, O king, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have. Now that is not the response you expect of a king. Not only does he say, 
the enemy king say, all your gold is mine, but your, your women and your children are mine. And you would think there were some things worth standing for. You would think uh, this is not the knight in shining, shining armor that would say, whoa, wait a minute, you're not, you're not getting my wife. Now, his wife was Jezebel, so maybe he was like, okay, that sounds like a fair trade to me. You take my gold and you can take her as well. But you would think as a dad, you'd value your children. You say, you know what, you can't have my children. But his response was, okay. And, uh, and he does nothing to stand against this evil king. And we're going to see this story as we go tonight. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you for uh, speaking to us from it. Lord, we're so thankful that we have the promise that it will not return void. I pray that you'd arrest our attention for these next few moments. And God, that this story would not just be a, list, a history lesson of something that happened many years ago, but Lord, that would be very applicable to us tonight and helping us understand and loving and, and valuing what you value in life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just help us tonight to hear from heaven, speak to us individually. We ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the Word of God this evening. You see that this, uh, this enemy king comes into, into battle, and he, uh, the Bible says there that he besieged Syria. And that besiege just simply means they surrounded it. And so in that day, uh, he has 32 other kings that he has put in tow, and King Ahab is going to be the next one on the list. And, and King Assyria was a formidable foe. He was uh, going to see a large army. And they basically cut off the supply line around Israel. And the only options Israel would have is either come out and fight or you're going to starve to death. And here's your options because we have besieged the city. You are cut off. He sends messengers into the king and says, we've we got your city surrounded. You can either come out and fight us and die or you're going to die if you don't do anything. We've got everything cut off. Nothing is coming into your city. And he said, your, your, your wealth and your women are mine. Your, your gold, your children... All of them are mine, and, and King Ahab says, okay, that, that's fine. But notice what happens with this passivity of, of this to this demand is that when the messengers go back, verse 5, the messengers came again and said, Thus speaketh Ben-Hadad, saying, Although I have sent unto thee, saying, Thou shalt deliver me thy silver and thy gold and thy wives and thy children, yet I will send my servants unto thee tomorrow about this time, and they shall search thine house." And the houses of thy servants, and it shall be that whatsoever is pleasant in thine eyes, they shall put it in their hand and take it away. And so here, the passivity of this, of this King Ahab by saying, you know what, if that's what you want, you want the silver and gold, you want my wife, you want my children, that's fine, you can have it. When those messengers went back, King, uh, the, the Ben-Hadad says, well, if he's at it, we're going to take everything. We're going to search your houses, and no matter what we find, if it's, if it's nice in your eyes, we're taking it with us. Now, the response here is telling it, of King Ahab of what he says then in verse number 7. It says, Then the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Mark, I pray you, and see how this man seeketh mischief. For he sent unto me for my wives and for my children and for my silver and my gold, and I denied him not. And all the elders and the people said unto him, Hearken not unto him, nor consent. Wherefore, he said unto the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Tell my lord the king. Again, just almost makes me nauseated to hear him say, calling my lord the king in full surrender. All that thou didst send for to thy servant at the first, will I, I will do. But this thing I may not do. And so uh, King Ahab says, You know what? You can have 
the gold, you can have the silver, you can have the women, the children, but you can't have my stuff. Now, I don't know what he had hidden in his rooms and what the people had, but he says, you can have my family, you can have everything, but my stuff is more valuable than even my own children and my wife and the other things we have in the kingdom. And so know this about when it comes to surrender, King Ahab did not understand what surrender meant. Whenever the, the king, uh, when Ben-Hadad comes in and says, uh, you need to surrender, he says, okay. And he says, I'll, I'll let you have what you want. And he says, okay, we're taking everything. Uh, he said, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. That's more, you, the first I can do, the second I can't. Now the problem with that is, is when it comes to surrender, uh, surrender doesn't mean some of it. It means all of it. And, and this is applied in two ways. Number one, if, if Ben-Hadad, which we, let's say represents the devil, comes into my life and in your life and says, you know what, I want your family. I want your finances. I want your home. And you say, okay. I also want everything else that is anything of a value to you. You say, well, I'm not going to give you that. I'm going to draw the line somewhere. When you begin to surrender in your life, the devil's never going to stop at a certain point. Right. Let, me, let me make it more real. So as, as Christians uh, today, people will say, you know what? You, you can't raise your children and be so strict and narrow that you don't let them have a television in your room. You don't let them have their own phone and access to internet. You can't be so strict and narrow that you would restrict them. I mean, every other child has this. And, and if you do that, you're going to lose them to the world. So the other option is, is let's just... Give them over to the world. Let's not put any kind of battle or any kind of fight. And that's not the option. In other words, there's going to be a battle and you're going to draw a line somewhere. Somewhere in your Christian life you're going to say, you know what, that's too much. I'm not willing to go that far. And, but the truth of the matter is, is if you surrender some areas in your life, the devil's going to keep pushing to come for more. In our society today, we're confused about transgenderism, about... Um, uh, different things in our life. And as society, culture begins to say, well, you know, let's not be too judgmental, especially as Christians. We, we, we don't want to be judgmental. We want to be tolerant. Well, tolerance has become acceptance, and then the line just keeps moving where now you have to, you have to affirm everything. And you, you either agree or you're hateful or mean-spirited. No, there's, there's still truth, and there's still a line to draw. And so when Ben-Hadab comes in, he says, I want this. King Ahab says, okay, easily. And he says, and I want more. And that's true. It's true in our life. When we, if you've ever been in church very long and you've heard the song, I Surrender All, uh, that, that song, I've made some major decisions in my Christian life when that song has been playing. God spoke in my heart, called to preach. I went forward. That song began to sing. And I, I, I begin to be sung. And I begin to say, Lord, I do. I surrender all. I give all. Now, when it comes to God, he doesn't want just some of it. And we say, okay, God, I'm going to surrender all. And you can have this, but you can't have that. No, the, the truth about surrender is a, it's going to go all. When you raise the white flag, if you, you yield, you're going to yield yourself either as a servant unto righteousness or you're going to yield yourself as a servant unto sin. You're not going to halfway surrender, and we, and we should surrender to God. And so here we see this lesson about been hey dad and coming in and wanting and demanding more whenever the, he says that's too much then he sends the messengers back and, and they're not happy notice in verse number number nine it says and wherefore he sent unto the messengers of ben hey dad tell my lord the king all that thou didst sin for thy servant for at the first i will do but this thing i may not and the messengers departed and brought him word again 
And Ben-Hadad sent unto him and said, The gods do so to me, and more also, if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for the handfuls of the people that follow me. In other words, he said, even if all the people that come against me are the, hands, uh, the sand of the, the dust of the sand, they're not going to be enough to stop us. We are intimidating. You know, the Bible says that the devil's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, one thing about that verse that always strikes me as interesting, that a, a lion doesn't roar when he's trying to devour something. Matter of fact, lions become very silent. They become stalky. If you've ever seen a cat, when it's trying to sneak up on a bird, it's not causing a big ruckus, it becomes very silent, stealthy, moving. And the thing about the devil, the Bible says, as a Christian, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And the devil is, is the master intimidator. He'll come to mom and dad and say, if you do this, you'll lose your family. He'll come to a church and a pastor and say, if you stand for this, people will leave. If you, if you take a stand in, in, in our society today, you're going to be rejected. And the, and the devil will roar and act like he's going to devour you, the problem is, is that lions don't roar before they devour. Lions roar to mark their territory. Lions roar to intimidate others around them, to establish dominance, to say, this territory is mine. If you ever see two cats get together, they hiss and fuss. If they get backed in the corner, they uh, get up, and, you know, like that. They're, they're, they're bluffing oftentimes. Now, they'll, they'll scratch you. A little house cat, I'm not worried about it. The big lion does concern me a little bit. But, but it's an intimidation factor. In the same way Ben-Hadad is doing that, he's saying, listen, King Hadad, if you, don't, if you don't straighten up, you don't have enough people to fight against us. Now, Ben-Hadad is going to talk, talk tough. He's going to say this to him. He says in verse 11, the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, let, uh, let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. Now, we don't use that kind of language that much today but it's almost like saying don't count your chickens before they're hatched don't stop don't start telling me what you're going to do before you even put the boxing gloves on you can talk after you take the gloves off but not before and so they begin to have dialogue the demand happens the deeper demand happens there's going to be this dialogue back and forth they're going to kind of talk back and forth and God's going to get involved notice what happens here in verse number 12, And it came to pass when Ben-Hadad heard this messenger as he was drinking the kings of the, and the kings of the pavilions, that he said unto his servants, Set yourselves in array. And they set themselves in array against the city. So here now alcohol enters in the picture, the drunkenness of the kings. The Bible is very clear that uh, kings are not to drink. It impairs their judgment. As a matter of fact, the Bible is very clear that nobody should drink. And, uh, and uh, you say, Preacher, are you a teetotaler? Absolutely. And so we understand that the, the here they're, they're beginning to get drunk. The other kings, they're drinking. And, uh, and, and so they decide to make a, a rash decision, set the battle in array. And, uh, and the man of God and a prophet of God begins to show up to King Ahab. Notice there in verse number, uh, seven, and verse number 13. And behold, there came a prophet unto Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus saith the Lord. Now so far, King Ahab has heard, Thus saith Ben-Hadad. Now he's going to hear, thus saith the Lord. And this is going to be an unnamed prophet. We don't know who it is. And, uh, and he's going to speak to Ahab. Now remember, King Ahab has nothing to do with God. If, if I was God, and praise God, I'm not. That, uh, every person in society should be thankful that I'm not, especially when I'm driving behind them, flatten their tires, move them out of the way. Ben Ahadad, or, uh, King Ahab would be the last person I would help. From heaven, I'd be like, yeah, uh, this is going to be good. I'm going to watch this happen. 
But you know what? The truth of the matter is, is none of us deserve God's help. None of us deserve the grace of God. And God's grace is going to come to Ahab and try to help him once again understand, I, I am the Lord. You are ruling over my people, the king of Israel. And so he comes to him, sends the prophet. He tells him he's going to help him. Verse number 13, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into thine hand this day, not tomorrow, this day. Thou shalt know, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. That's the reason behind it. Verse 14, Ahab said, By whom? And he said, Thus saith the Lord, Even by the young men of the princes of the providences. And then he said, Who shall order the battle? And he answered, Thou. So King Ahab is not, he's the one that's supposed to be leading the charge. He's like, How is this going to happen? Your young princes are going to do it. Oh, really? Well, who's going to lead them? You are. Me? Yeah, you. You're going to go. And so he numbers. He's going to get 232 people. Now, that's not much. <laughs> gets that. And then another 7,000. Look in verse 15. And he numbered the young men of the princes of provinces, and there were 232. And after them, he numbered all the people, and even all the children of Israel, being 7,000. And they went out at noon. Now, one of the things about this attack is that most of the time when you study how battles happened at this time, they didn't fight at noon. That was siesta time. That was the time where they would take. So they kind of surprised them. Not only that, but they are drinking. They're, they're drinking themselves drunk. Notice in verse 16, they went out at noon, but Ben-Hadad was drinking himself drunk in the pavilions, he and the kings, the 30 and two kings that helped him. They were more in part into partying than there were uh, battling. In verse 17, the young men of the princes of the provinces went out first, and Ben-Hadad sent out, and they told him, saying, there are men come out of Samaria. And he said, whether they be come out for peace take them alive. Or whether they come out for war, take them alive. So he's very confident that we'll be able to handle them. In verse 19, so these young men of the princes of the providence came out of the city and the army which followed them and they slew everyone his man and the Syrians fled and Israel pursued them and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the horsemen. And so here's this drunken king riding on a horse put to shame 7,232 of Israel's Soldiers put this whole Syrian army on the run. And obviously God was the one that did that. And so the battle is always the Lord's. And so here, here we see this, this uh, dominance over them. But notice what happens here in verse number 21. The king of Israel went out, smote the horses and chariots, slew the Syrians with a great slaughter. And verse 22, the prophet came to the king of Israel and said unto him, Go strengthen thyself and mark and see what thou doest. And so the prophet shows up and says, Listen, God's given you a victory, but you need to be mindful of who gave it to you. And you need to strengthen yourself, but it's because he tells them they're going to come back. In verse number 22, it says, See what thou doest, for at the return of the year the king of Syria will come up against thee. Know this in your Christian life. When you find a battle, there's always going to be another one coming around the corner. If uh, you get victory and you fight some kind of battle in your life, you say, Man, thank God he helped me, he gave me deliverance. Well, don't let your guard down because there's going to be another one that comes right behind it. The, the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. And so we're a soldier of the cross. We're to fight the good fight of faith. We're to, we're to stay, uh, stand strong. We're to put on the whole armor of God. So the Bible uses the analogy of, of a warrior, uh, not, not a playground. And so here, the warning has gone towards this king. I've delivered you. I've helped you. Now see to it what, what you do. They're, they're going to come back. And in that day, they didn't fight all the time during the year. They would oftentimes have seasons of war. And so Syria retreats and begins to kind of lick their wounds. 
but they get ready. Notice what happens in verse 23. The servants of the king of Syria said unto him, Their gods are the gods of the hills. Therefore, they were stronger than we. But let us fight them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. Now, this is bad counsel. And they're saying, they're gods of the gods of the hills. We got the gods of the plains. We fight them down here and we'll be able to get them. And verse 24, do this thing, take the kings away, every man out of his place, and put captains in the rooms. In other words, take the 32 kings that are a bunch of monarchs and, and partiers and put warriors in their place and let them fight. In verse 25, the number and number thee an army, like the army that thou hast lost, horse for horse, chariot for chariot, and we will fight against them in the plain, and surely. We shall be stronger than they. And he hearkened unto their voice and did so. And it came to pass at the return of the year that Ben-Hadad numbered the Syrians and went up to Aphak to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were numbered and were all present and went against them. And the children of Israel pitched before them like two little flocks of kids. But the Syrians filled the country. And so you can see the, the picture here that Israel goes out. They've, again, probably 7,232. That has probably got some attrition Probably smaller than that. And they are like a small flock. We're going to see later in the text that there's 100,000 Syrians. And so, uh, and then another 27,000 in another place. And so this is a large army against this little small flock. And they're set out there and they're going to set the battle in array. But again, notice what happens in verse 29. And they pitched one against the other. I, I find this interesting. Seven days. Now let me back up, verse 28. And there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is the God of the hills, but he is not the God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand. You know, uh, they ought to write a song about that. God that's on the mountain is the God that's in the valley. Oh, they did, all right. So they, and you see where this comes from. And so that got God's attention. That, that's laughable. You know, we're, he's just the God on the mountain. He's not the God in the valley. But notice what it says there at the end of verse 28. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. You know, God kept trying to reveal himself to Ahab. He kept trying to give Ahab an opportunity to understand, I am the God of heaven. You know what God does in our life is he'll allow battles to come. And sometimes he'll help us even when we don't seek his help. Even when we don't pray and say, God, I need your help. God will intervene. He'll do stuff that sometimes we don't even acknowledge. We don't say, well, God obviously helped me out. Maybe other people can see it. You're not interested in God. You know why God would do such a thing? So he could reveal himself to you. To reveal himself to me. That God loves us and he, he wants to be a part of our daily life. That he wants to be a God not just on the mountain. He's the God in the valley. He's, he's, he's able to give victory everywhere. And so that we might know that he is God. This is, this is the value. This is loving things, what God loves. He values this, uh, our homes, our family. He values, uh, God sees things that he wants us to understand, that, that he loves us, he cares for us, and he, he has things that he loves. Now notice in verse 29, they pitched one over against the other seven days. Before, they just kind of went right at it. Now Syria and Israel, there's a little bit of a pause before they begin to fight. And then... It says, and it was so that in the seventh day the battle was joined. And the children of Israel slew the Syrians a hundred thousand footmen in one day. Now, friend, that's a whooping. That is a good victory. But the rest fled to Aphak into the city, and there was a wall that fell upon twenty and seven thousand of the men that were left. Now, you know you're having a bad day in battle when you get a thousand 
footmen uh, slaughtered, and then 27,000 go and stand against a wall and be like, whew, timber, you know, goes that on you. You know God's working against you. And the hand of God was with Israel. He was blessing them. Listen, today as we pray for Israel and the peace there, it's amazing to me that a little country that size can attract the world's attention. And listen, friend, there's, there's no amount of politics, no amount of war that's there. Still God's people. And so they, they uh, have the favor and the hand of God. Their eyes are blinded. Their eyes need to be opened back up and, and will. But we understand this, that God is working on Israel's behalf even when Israel didn't acknowledge who God was. Specifically, King Ahab. Now notice what happens here in verse number 30. And the rest fled to Aphak into the city. And there was a wall that fell again. And then at the end of that, Ben-Hadad fled and came into the city into the inner chamber. And his servants said unto him, Behold now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Now they should have said liberal. They're not going to do anything to us. They're merciful. They're, uh, we've heard, that, and so let's, let's try to fall upon their, their mercy. It says, uh, in the house of his merciful kings, let us, I pray thee, put sackcloth on our loins and ropes on our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Peradventure he will save thy life. So they girded sackcloth on their loins and put ropes on their heads and came to the king of Israel. Now, again, I guess that's the mark of humility. You know, you put the sackcloth on. I understand that part, but I, I laugh again thinking about the ropes on their heads. Like, what in the world? And they come out acting very humble. Uh, we we want to find grace in your, your side. And so they come and they, they send their servants there to the king of Israel. And they say, thy servant Ben-Hadad saith, I pray thee, let me live. And notice King Ahab's response. And he said, is he yet alive? He is my brother. Now that is, again, not the response you expect King Ahab to have. The knight in shining armor doesn't come to his family's defense. Now he has the enemy, the one that was going to, to uh, kill him. God had appointed, appointed uh, Ben-Hadad to destruction. We're going to see that at the end of the chapter. And so Ahab says, he's my brother, Benny. Ben, my buddy Benny. I, I love Benny. Where's he at? Now, again, they're going to wonder, oh, is this guy serious? They're looking for a trick. Notice in verse 33. Now the men did diligently observe whether anything would come from him and did hastily catch it. And so they're trying to watch him saying, is this a trick? But Ahab is more than welcome to welcome brother Ben-Hadad. And it says, and they said, thy brother Ben-Hadad. And he said, go ye, bring him. Then Ben-Hadad came forth to him and he caused him to come up into the chariot. Now again, he's riding by. Ben-Hadad's there. Not only does he... Not only is he welcoming towards him, he sticks his hand out and says, Get on up here, buddy. We're brothers. Man. And listen, he makes an alliance with the enemy of God. After God has just uh, spared him. And, and there's so much application. We can make application. I'm going to trust it. And at the end, we're going to try to do so. But the Spirit of God, uh, how many times does God help his people? And the next thing you know, we reach out and extend an arm to the enemies of God and the things of God. And instead of loving the things that God loves and hating the things that God hates. Now, today it's almost like, what do you mean, hate? God doesn't hate anything. Well, that's not what the Bible says. God hates some things in the Bible. And, and we should be known, not, not just by what we hate, but what we love. But, but there are some, some things that people should know. Well, they're a Christian, they're going to love that. They're a Christian, they're going to hate that. 
That's, that's not what God's for. And that's, we're going to stand the same place where God stands and we need to value what God values. And here Ben-Hadad is failing terribly at that. So verse 34, Ben-Hadad said unto him, The cities which my father took and thy father I will restore. Now, I'm thinking I wouldn't bring that up. You know, the father, you know my father took a city from your father? I'll give it back. I would be like, Mum's the word on that. I'm going to remind him that my dad took something from his dad. And then he says there in the text, he says, And thou shalt make streets for thee in Damascus, as my father made in Samaria. And then said Ahab, I will send thee away with this covenant. So he made a covenant with him and sent him away. Now, here's the newsflash. Ben-Hadad never gives the city back. He's a liar. And so he tells him what he wants to hear, and Ben-Hadad lets him go. Now, again, this brings us, this story is an amazing story. And if people would say, well, the Bible's so boring. Listen, you don't read it with an imagination. This is all a true story. This is happening. This king of Israel, this whole plot that happens. And now the sons of the prophet are going to be sent back to him. But notice what happens here. This is incredible. Notice what it says here in verse number 35. And a certain man of the sons of the prophets said unto his neighbor, In the word of the Lord, smite me, I pray thee. And so this son of the prophet looks at another prophet and says, punch me in the face. Well, what would you do? Some, I mean, tonight, if one of your buddies here looks over at you and says, hey, I need you to punch me in the face really hard. I mean, smite me. Hopefully you'd say, I'm not going to do that. Well, notice that's exactly what he says. He says, and the man refused to smite him. And then he said unto him, because thou hast not obeyed the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as thou art departed from me, a lion shall slay thee. And as soon as he was departed from him, a lion found him and slew him. Well, that would get your attention. And what, what's, the, what's going on here? This is like, what? well, listen, this is a, an illustration that it doesn't matter if you're a king or if you're a prophet. If something's told to you by a man of God from the word of the, word of the Lord, it'd be wise to obey it. Amen. Even if it doesn't make sense. What do you mean, smite me? Well, he's going to use this as an illustration, a picture. The prophets, God, you often use that to, to get their message out. And so... He turns to another son of the prophet, verse 37, and he found another man and said, Smite me, I pray thee, and the man smote him. I'd say so. By that time, after he sees that one guy get eaten by a prophet, the other guy's like, where do you want punched? And he just, boom, hits him, jacks him up, beats him up, basically. And so this is part of it. He says there in verse number, um, verse number 37, the man smote him, and so that the smiting, he wounded him. And so the prophet departed, waited for the king by the way, disguised himself with ashes upon his face, and the king passed by and he cried unto the king. So again, can you see the picture? This beat up prophet, he puts ashes on the face, kind of disguises himself. He's standing there and he says, waiting for the king to come by. He stops the chariot and he says, Thy servant went out into the midst of the battle, and behold, a man turned aside and brought a man unto me. And he said, Keep this man, if by any means... He be missing, then shall thy life be for his life, or else thou shalt pay a talent of silver. And as thy servant was busy here and there, he was gone. He said, so I was kind of got busy, I wasn't paying attention, and the guy escaped, the prisoner escaped. And notice it says, and the king of Israel said unto him, so shall thy judgment be, thyself hast decided it. And he hasted and took the ashes away from his face. And so the prophet began to dust off his face, and be like, is, is that really what you believe, king? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you said it, life for life. If you, if you give up the enemy, if you lose him, it's going to be your life for his life. And that's the very thing that God's going to tell King Ahab, because you let the enemy, Ben-Hadab, go, it's going to be your life for his life. And so here, this, this prophet brings this, this uh, picture and parable to him. It says there in verse number 41, it says, As he hastened to go ashes from his face, and the king of Israel discerned him that he was the, of the prophets, and he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, because thou hast let go out of thy hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore thy life shall go for his life, and thy people for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house heavy and displeased and came to Samaria. And you know what's uh, um, telling about King Ahab as you study his life? He gets confronted over and over again, gets opportunity to see God work on his behalf. And oftentimes he gets sad, gets sorrowful, gets upset, he even pouts. One thing he never does is repent. And you know in our life we can be upset, we can get mad. God, I don't know why you're doing this and get mad. God doesn't want us to get mad at him. He wants us to get right with him. Amen. He wants us to humble ourselves, bow down before him and say, God, you're God. I realize that uh, I want to value what you value. I want to I love the things that you love. I want to hate the enemies uh, that, that, that you hate. And listen, we understand tonight that uh, when it comes to Sodom, we don't hate the people, we hate the sin. When it comes to abortion, we don't hate people that have had an abortion. We hate the sin of abortion. When it comes to alcohol and, and wickedness and the evil, the perversion that goes on, we, we, don't, we don't hate the people. We hate the perversion. But we are to hate it. We're not to be accepting of it. We're, we're not to be tolerant of it. We're to speak up against it. When I worked as, doing the home health physical therapy, there was a big kind of movement about... Um, about um, transgenderism and acceptance and, and, and uh, homosexuality and, and pronouns and all those different things going on. And I, a nurse that I worked with, she knew I was a pastor. She was a Christian. She came to me in, in tears and said, Jeff, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I said, we're just going to be faithful to God. You know what? They, it's America. And they have the right to believe that, but I have the right to believe what I have believed. And not to be ugly or mean. But I, I would say, you know what, that's, uh, you may believe that, you may accept that, I don't. And you know what I would do to them? I would say this, as much as you want me to tolerate your beliefs, I want you to tolerate mine. And if, you, you, you know, if, you, if there's legal action, that, you know, you, I, I would be happy to bring legal action from my side and let you know that, and usually they would be like, oh yeah, we've got to value all sides of the, yeah, yeah. We have to stand up. We have to say, you know what, God's still loves uh, righteousness, and he hates evil. That starts in our homes. It starts in our families. Where when the devil, when the Ben-Hadabs of this world come along and say, you know what, this is what, we're going to set the standards in your home. We're going to say you can do this and do that. This is what is acceptable. That we take a biblical worldview and a Christian worldview and say, you know what, that's just not the way we're going to raise our children. It's laughable to me. When we, I grew up going to public school, we begin to homeschool our children. And uh, one of the greatest fears to the people around me would be like, your children, they're just not going to be well adjusted to society and they're just not going to be, they're going to be weird. And now we have kids in public school that think they're cats right. and have litter boxes. You tell me who's weird. It's not about, well, if I do this, if I try to have a biblical principle, the way I raise my family, the way I try to live my life, the way I want to do things. No, friend, God is always right and you want to stay with God. We want to make sure that 
uh, we love the things that he loves and we hate the things that he hates. King Ahab was given opportunity over and over again to repent, to love God, to know him. And instead of doing that, he began to uh, not acknowledge God. He didn't give him the victory, didn't give him uh, praise in the victory. And, and friend, uh, when it comes to, to, to this world, we need God. We can't do it without him. Let me, let me have you turn over the book of Jeremiah chapter 9 real quick. And we'll make some application and close with this tonight. Jeremiah chapter 9, look down at verse number 23. The Bible here says, Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, righteousness in the earth, and in these things I delight, saith the Lord. You know, uh, sometimes people will get very uh, puffed up about their intellect. Listen, I've, I've met people that they thought they knew everything, and, and uh, you could tell right away they weren't the sharpest crayon in the box. They thought they knew more than what they knew. I've met people that I'm like, whoa, that person's out of my league. They are a brainiac. They just know so much. But you know what? Your intellect is not what's impressive. Some people... Strong. I mean, you can look at me and see that I totally work out. Bench press thousands of pounds. I mean, just absolute muscle. And you're like, man, that preacher, he is, uh, he was, he's a muscle. I, I had a, a, a patient one time, he was a, a pastor, and he was a bodybuilder. Now, how those two sync up, I'm just not real sure. He had a stroke. He was 30, 32 years old, had a stroke. And his thigh literally was the size, one of his was the size of my two together. He was a massive person. You know what's impressive about him? It's not his strength. If you had a lot of money, if he's a preacher, I'd buy and sell you all day. Well, listen, you're not going to have, have to have a lot to do that. Well, if you knew what I made, if you know how much money I've made in my life, listen, let not the rich man glory in his wealth. What truly matters in this life and special life to come is that you know God. And, and that we need to value the things God values. We sometimes will look at someone and be like, well, I, you know, they're, they're very wealthy or they're very smart or they're very strong. I, I can't oppose them. Listen, friend, can I encourage you? Stay with the Bible. Stay with God. Know Him. That's of incredible value. There is no hope if we don't know God. If we live this life and, and we're deceived to think that uh, we, we can... Uh, not, not live this life without God, it is, a, it is of little value, it is of no hope. It's amazing to me that sometimes Christians defend what really is indefensible to God. That will hold and will defend and will say, you know what, I, uh, I, you know, I, I just don't think we should be judgmentalists. I, I, don't think we should, I don't think we should be mad. I think we can be right and not be mad about it. But this book is black and white. And there's a lot less gray in Christendom than what we want to, want to admit. And at times to try to not stand and not have any kind of conflict or not to stay and value what God uh, values will sometimes compromise in our life. And, and pastors do this. They'll say, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. I'm just not going to fight about that. I'm just going to let that go. And here's the truth. The enemy never stops at just the one spot. 
they will, it'll keep pushing until it tries to surrender all. And here's another truth. God doesn't, doesn't accept just half-hearted surrender. He wants us to surrender all. So it kind of goes back to Elijah when he says, how long halt you between two opinions? If God be God, you have to serve him. We, we have to value the things that God values. What is important to you? Is it important that you get accepted by your peers, of what your neighbors think, of how much money you have, of the education that your children have? There's a lot of things the world will try to say, this is the greatest value. You've got to have a college fund. I, I remember when we were having children, I saw the statistic that said the average cost to have one child was like $150,000 or maybe $250,000 per child to raise them. I said, oh, we're going to come in under that. <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to beat that for sure. Well, if you're going to have a fully funded college fund, if you're going to have this and that, Listen, I, I want my children to know God. I want to raise them in the house of God. I want, them, I want them to know the Bible. I want to have family devotions and family altars. I want them to know the hymns. I want them to memorize scripture. And, and I want to love the things that God loves. That is of the greatest value. And don't ever let a King Ben-Hadab come in and roar and intimidate you and say, you know what, if you try to stand for God, we're going to wipe you out. Not if God's on our side. With God, we're in the majority, not in the minority. And so I kind of encourage you tonight, church, Christians, families, individual, just to stay, stay firm with God. Know Him, walk with Him, love Him, love the things that God loves, and don't, don't worry about the enemies that come loudly and largely in your life because with God, if God be for us, who can be against us? Let's stand tonight. <clears throat> Battle after battle we'll face. May we not let our guard down, but we'll, may we also clearly stand with God. Maybe God would tonight speak to your heart and say, you know, there's some areas that you're being challenged to compromise in, to let your guard down on, to say, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. The world, everybody else is doing it. You know, the Bible says that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to God. And so instead of saying, well, if everybody else is doing it, or this church is doing it, or this pastor is doing it, let's make sure God's for it, and the Word of God, there's a principle for it in our life. And that we just continue to stay faithful to the Word of God and to the God of the Word. Father, I just pray that you help us tonight to stand. I pray that you'll help us to value the things that you value and love the things that you love, and, and Lord, even hate the things that you hate. Lord, I pray we wouldn't be weary in well-doing. We wouldn't compromise in our beliefs. And maybe tonight there's a family or a, a dad that is beginning to waver in his beliefs. And is it really worth the fight? Is it really worth the battle? And I pray that they would just uh, seek your face, seek your wisdom, see what your word says on things. And Father, that they might draw close to you and that they might know you. And they might know that you are the one that wins the battles. And the battles is yours. And so, Lord, I pray that you just strengthen us tonight, protect us from the evil one. Lord, I pray if there's somebody that needs to be saved tonight, God, that they'd realize their lost condition, humble themselves and come be saved. But, Father, I pray tonight for the, for the folks in this church, the good folks here, that they would not be casualties in this, in this battle, Lord, that we wouldn't preach to others and ourselves be a castaway. And so, Lord, strengthen us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
number 393, listen to invitations from the Lord. I tell you, there's a lot in there. And, uh, you know, we talked about, we were kidding about it during a prayer time, but Thanksgiving's coming up. You know, sometimes your biggest battles are with family. And, uh, you know, just uh, however the Lord would lead, you come as we sing number 393. 